0: How are we doing? Good morning, good morning. morning. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that you're here with us. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to uh, Acts chapter 2 this morning. That's where we'll be. We're in a series entitled Gospel Community, and this is just a four-week series to kind of help us launch the fall as we jump into small groups and as you guys check out Uh, Hopefully new ones And maybe if you've never been in a small group before We'd love to see you in one of those And just echo uh, what Josh said just a moment ago You can uh, get information about that in the lobby Uh, Typically what we do at Integrity We take books of the Bible We go through them verse by verse And so after we finish this series We'll be in the book of Philippians Again, great time to be uh, in a small group As we start a a new book here in in a couple of weeks Um, Just want to mention one thing for you Before we jump into what God has for us In Acts chapter 2 um, want to tell you if you're a college student um, at ECU or Pitt Community College or wherever if you're taking classes online, that's great. Um, we would like to invite you to join us to a free uh, college lunch. It's going to be uh, se- I'm sorry, September 16th. there it is. I'm glad y'all thank you. I appreciate that. Um, right after the 11 o'clock service, we'd love to have you on one of those just to uh, encourage you and just let you know how much we love you. And uh, we'd love to just connect you in any possible way that we can as you're here uh, at ECU or wherever you're going. Let me pray. And then we'll jump into what God has for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we get to come together and be gathered before your throne. It's not because we're in a sacred place that's meeting on a sacred day. It's because we can do that because we have the Holy Spirit within us if we're believers in Christ. And we can do that because we know that you are our savior and you are our Lord and you are our king. And so God, I pray, Lord, right now as we've moved from singing praises to our God and King now to hearing your word, I pray, Lord, that we would submit to it and we would do what it tells us to do and we would live the way that you want us to live so that we would glorify you. And that, Lord, not only that, but we can have better relationships with one another so we can care for one another well, and then we can take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. And we just ask that you would do that this morning and this time as we open up your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 2 is where we'll be. We'll look at verses 42 um, through 47 this morning. When Jess and I uh, first got married, we... Um, moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and we were trying to figure out uh, what, where, what was around us where we lived, and so one Saturday, I had off work, and we're saying, okay, we're just going to drive around and, and find, see what, what's around us, and so we drove up to this fresh market in this sort of like um, shopping center area, and we said, man, this, is, this looks like a, a pretty awesome fresh market, and by, back then, this is how old I am, they didn't have fresh markets everywhere, okay? Um, and so it was kind of like a rare find. Oh, a Fresh Market! And so we we drove up in the Fresh Market, and it was unlike anything we've ever seen. There were balloons everywhere. It was a jet. Ja- we heard a jazz band playing, and you know, up front. And then we, we saw smoke coming from these grills up front, and. Um, and then we walked up closer. The jazz band was right there, right at the front entrance. They had wine tasting, the, uh, the grills. They were giving out free uh, pork tenderloins, and it was unbelievable. And we walked inside, and it was full, stock full of uh, staff that were all really nice and friendly and just overly excited. The place was in tip-top condition. It was super clean. And we were like, this is the greatest fresh market Ever. And it's not like we shop at Fresh Market all the time. Listen, we go to Food Lion just like everybody else, all right? But when we walked up in there, we were like, "Man, this is the greatest place ever." We're gonna go back next Saturday, and so the next Saturday came, and we were gonna, we're gonna go. I'm gonna get my port tenderloin, right? We're gonna, you know, I'm thinking this is gonna be having. There was no balloons. There was no grill out front. There was no jazz band. It was just a normal Saturday at Fresh Market. We walked in. We saw like a quarter of the staff there. And we said, hey, um, what, like what, ha- what happened, right? Where's the, where's the t- is, it, is it coming, right? Is the Tenderloin coming? Is the jazz band late? Like, what happened? And so the person said, oh, you were here last week during our grand opening. And we were like, oh, man, so it's not like that. And they're like, no, this is just our grand opening. And so what we began to experience from that Saturday and then any other time we went, I think it was like maybe one other time, it was just business as usual, And so there was a difference between what we saw in the grand opening and business as usual. Interestingly enough, in the book of Acts, you see the same tension. What you see in the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, is the grand opening of the very first church that ever began. What had happened was the disciples of Jesus Christ, they walked with Jesus. They saw Jesus perform miracles. They saw Jesus raise people from the dead. They saw Jesus then die a gruesome death on the cross and bleed uh, for our sins. They saw Jesus then uh, be buried, and then three days later they saw The risen Christ. They saw the living gospel right in front of them. And so here were 120 or so followers of Christ. And Jesus tells his disciples 40 days before, after he resurrects from the grave, before he ascends to heaven and seated at the right hand on the throne of God, before the throne as we just sang about just a moment ago. Before he did that, he told his disciples, his followers what the kingdom of God was like. And he told them that he would be with them. And how he would be with them was giving, him, giving them the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. So once they believe in the gospel, he promised them that they would have the Holy Spirit. And so what did the 120 people do? They waited, they prayed, they pleaded, would you send your Holy Spirit? And then we're told in Acts chapter two that the Holy Spirit falls upon these 120 people. And it was so Crazy in the way that they responded that everyone around them thought they were drunk. But they were filled with the spirit and they were different. And what happened was Peter, who, full of the Holy Spirit, who was a disciple of Jesus Christ, stands up and he preaches the very first gospel sermon and 3,000 people believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and they submit and surrender their life to him and their lives are radically changed. That's the grand opening of the very first church that ever existed. So the question is, what happens to those 3,000 people? What did they do next? Now, we know of a lot of different stories and Acts. If you've read Acts, if you haven't, no no problem. I'll just walk you through a, a couple of things that happened. The gospel then spreads to another place called Samaria, where the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along. They had this uh, over this tension of war between each other. And then the gospel goes to them. And then there's, there's lives that are transformed. Then similar things that happened that Jesus did, the, the apostles did. The, the apostles healed people. The apostles raised people from the dead. And it's these unbelievable things that happened. But, but listen, even in all of that, that was not business as usual in the life of the early church. The early church did some things that we still do today. So although you have this extraordinary grand opening in the church, there's still some basic things that happen in the book of Acts that every believer today should and really is commanded to practice if you want to walk in gospel Community And so my goal today is to show you that the church really isn't designed to be a big event. Rather, it's designed to be a community, a community built around the gospel, a gospel community. And so as we see these 3,000 people in, in Acts become believers in Christ, I want to tell you then how they then live their lives among each other. And that's what the end of Acts chapter 2 uh, covers this morning. Acts chapter two will start in verse forty-two. It says, "And they, these three thousand believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common." And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with, listen, glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, what does it say? Day by day, those who were being saved. Now, I want you to keep in mind something. All of this happened before any type of teaching took place on what the church would be. All of this happened before First and Second Corinthians, which tells us the order of the church. All of this happened before we learn what elders and deacons are in 1 and 2 Timothy. All of this took place in the very first church. And the way that he describes, the way that Luke, as he's recording the book of Acts, describes this in Acts chapter 2, In verse 42, he says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, fellowship. Now, what does fellowship mean? Well, the Greek word is actually koinonia. They had koinonia. Now, the the word is actually derived from the word uh, koine, which, by the way, if you know anything about um, how how the Bible's written, the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek, and it was written in the most common language. And so the word koine actually means common. And it was written in the most common language so that just anyone could read it in those days. Anyone could pick up the New Testament and read it. Why? Because it was written in a common language, in common Greek, not classic Greek, common Greek, koine Greek. And so the word koinea means to be common, to, to be a, a partner with. And so we come together even this morning as believers in Jesus Christ because we have something in common. We have this commonality that we all understand, even though there's diversity in the room with ages and ethnicities and backgrounds, we have something in common, and it's called koinonia. We have this fellowship. We have, another word we could say it is partnership. We're partnering together to have this same idea. And so, the word fellowship in Christian culture it often gets hijacked by our own understanding of what fellowship is. We say, "Man, we have the fellowship hall." So that means where we hang out, or we say, "Hey, bro, man, the worship was awesome last night. We had worship. We had sweet fellowship." Right? You know, it's like we don't know what it really means sometimes, and sometimes the word gets hijacked by our own interpretation. But but what it really means is a is, is a partnership. So in that culture, even if you bought something. If you uh, went into business with someone, you would go into koinonia with them. You would go into fellowship with them. But I want you to see what's happening in Acts 2. Because Acts 2, they're, they're showing that not only they're in fellowship with each other, but, but notice that they're selling possessions so that those who are without would have. So that no one would go without a need that is met. That's the kind of relationship it was. Even if you go over a few chapters later in in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4 rather, in verse 32, it says, Now the number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They, They had everything in common. You see that? And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great, great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land and lands and of houses sold them and bought the proceeds that were so, that was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Then Barnabas sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the uh, apostles' feet. Now, I want you to capture this. This is what fellowship meant for the early church. They gathered together and they shared their lives and their resources together so that no one went without. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Selling land wasn't like in our culture where someone might sell land for investment. Selling your land meant that you gave away your kid's inheritance. It means that you cashed in your retirement and you gave it away. These are poor people, friends. This isn't like in our culture where we say, man, we're going to give away. Okay, we have an extra laptop, and we'll give this person our other laptop. Or we have, you know, two HDTVs, uh, We're going to give one of them away, you know, just to help that person out. Or they have Hulu, and we have Netflix. We're going to trade passwords to show generosity to them. It wasn't like that, all right? It wasn't like, hey, you all do it. Don't even act like you don't, all All right. But I want you to see that this is the relationship. These are poor people giving away a a piece of land that would have been passed down from generation to generation to say, you know what, we're gonna sell it so that this person would go out. It's radical generosity that's being displayed. And I want you to know that this is in no way commanded. Acts is not a book of commandments. It's a book of history. So it's describing events, not prescribing them. It's descriptive rather than prescriptive. It's telling you what happened. However... Because this is an historical account of what happened that Luke, a follower of Jesus Christ, is describing, we can learn a great deal from this historical account about how believers in community can live when the Holy Spirit is taking root in our lives. So I want you to see this as we read it. This is what the Holy Spirit did in the book of Acts. This is what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives when we began to submit our lives to his work. He can do a radical thing in a community. And, and Paul captures this idea by the way, at the end of 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 13, verse 14. He says, "The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you." What does he attribute to bringing fellowship with other believers? He says the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit brings you to, your, to God. That's how you have a relationship with God is through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. But also the Holy Spirit brings us to one another. That's what the Holy Spirit does. John says the same thing. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 He says, That which we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So all three members, Father, Son, and Spirit, all three members of the Trinitarian, the Trinity Godhead, has a role in you moving yourself to Him, but also drawing you to one another. So if you are a believer in Christ, not only are you you have a relationship with your Creator, with God, but part of you being a believer means that God working in you draws you to other believers. And this is what happens when the Holy Spirit grips your heart. You're drawn to God. You're drawn to others. And it's amazing. Like Through the years, I've seen people come in and out of Greenville and in and out of Integrity Church because of the transient nature of Greenville, people moving out for school or uh, master's degrees or whatever it is, residencies. And I, so I hear a lot of stories about people's, maybe their past experiences at different churches. And here's what I've found. The church that I hear when people fall in love with a church and they say, man, I loved my last church. This is, this is what they had. It, rarely do they share, my last church had an awesome pastor and he was a great speaker. It's rarely the band at the last church was so on point or it's rarely the, the, it's rare that it's the programs or it's the kids ministry or anything like that. Interestingly enough, the most common thing that when people talk about the last church or the church that they're a part of or how, when a church made an impact uh, on their life, it's the community. Man, we had such a great group of friends in our lives. We had such great commonality. Man, we just had such deep, meaningful relationships. And man, that is just irreplaceable. I mean, we're looking for that. We're hoping for that. When people fall in love with a, with a community of believers, and people fall in love with a church, a gospel community, it's where they were physically, emotionally, spiritually, and financially connected. And furthermore, when I see people who move to Greenville and they don't see it as a temporary living space and they don't see it as a place that they're just passing through and rather they they fight that tendency and they jump into the life of a community and they invest their lives into the lives of other believers by serving and growing with others. They end up loving wherever they live. They end up loving Greenville. And I, I find it, like I get offended, right? When people come here from different places and they're always trying to compare here to wherever they were before. It's like, man, if y'all just had a super target, my life would be so much easier, right? You know, Trader Joe's, man, every time I drive through Raleigh, I have to stop because we don't have it here. You know, it's just kind of like, if y'all just had a mall that made sense, like I would just love it so much more, you know? I'm tired of shopping at Spencer's Gifts, right? No one shops, you know, like, so it's just this thing, like, right? But here's, here's the thing. When you begin to understand this work of the Holy Spirit, that not only does the Holy Spirit draw you to God, but he draws you to others. You, in, you you learn to love wherever you live. Because koinonia changes the way that you see where you live. Koinonia isn't about geography. Rather, it's about investing in wherever God has you or wherever God has sovereignly placed you. And this was God's way of bringing believers together and unifying them under the gospel. But it wasn't fellowship for fellowship's sake. That's what I want to show you. Let me show you why this fellowship, this community, when it gathered was so impactful. What are the things that they did? That's what I want to show you. Look in verse 42 again. It says, and these believers, when they gathered, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching And the fellowship to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Then you look down in verse 46. We'll have that up. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So there's four things that I want you to see that these believers did when they gathered. First of all, it says they devoted themselves with regularity. They devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. The second thing that we see is they, they listened to the apostles' teaching. The third thing you see is they broke bread together. The fourth thing you see is that they prayed. So let me unpack those four. They devoted themselves together. The text tells us that they gathered in the temple day by day. Again, this is describing the events, not prescribing this. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. That's what it is, describing you what happened. But we no longer call our gathering this morning a temple, right? Y'all, y'all didn't say, well, where are you going this morning? I'm going to go to the temple and worship, right? If you did, maybe there's some theological things that we have to work through, all right? But no, we don't call this a temple. They, they worshiped in the temple because that at that time was the only place they could meet because of their sheer size. And later on, we're called, Paul tells us that we are, we believers, are the um, temple of the Holy Spirit. So, if we're believers, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We are called a temple. So, no longer we use the language temple, but they did meet with regularity. Two times in this portion of Scripture, we're told that they met day by day. Now, obviously, we don't meet every single day to worship. However, we're challenged to meet with regularity as believers. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Till Christ returns, he says, meet regularly. Don't neglect meeting regularly. Now, keep in mind, there's no particular day of the week that we have to meet on. Some people say, well, you have to meet on Sunday because that's the Sabbath day. But again, we're not under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. So we can meet on Wednesday morning if we wanted to. We don't because our culture doesn't do that, right? We meet, we're in the South and this is what time people meet in the South. So we wanna be clear and make it easy on everybody. We wanna meet on Sunday morning. But we can meet on Thursday and we are not in sin, right? I don't wanna meet on Thursday. I wanna meet on Sunday. That's why we meet on Sunday, and it seems like you guys do too, because you're here, right? But that's why, that's the reason why. So, but the point of it is, is not when, it's how, it's that you would do it often, that it would show some devotion to one another. And we realize that this gathering isn't enough, we realize that part of you is you're coming together to worship and we sing songs and we hear God's word preached and we do all those things. But part of it is we want you to devote yourselves to one another. And we know that you can't know every single person in this room. If you do, you have a unique skill. I want to get to know you and we'll hire you. But, um, but you can't get to know every single person in this room. So not only do we want to gather, but we want to scatter. We want, to, we want people to meet in homes so that you could share life together, so you could pray together like they did in the New Testament, that you could break bread together, like we have a meal together like we did in the New Testament. We can share uh, the gospel together. We can hold each other accountable and build one another up in love. That is why we do it. We want you to be devoted to one another because we see that as a pattern in God's word. So, They devoted themselves to one another. We do that through small groups here in Integrity, and that's why we want you to be in a small group so you can devote yourself to one another. The apostles' teaching is the second. They devoted themselves to one another, but they devoted themselves also to the apostles' teaching. Now, apostle is a unique word, but it really is someone who was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ's resurrection, so anybody who says they're apostle today, I'm like, how old are you? You saw the risen Christ. That's amazing, right? Did you have any pictures from back then? You know, I just want to know what that really looked like. But the apostles, they saw Jesus Christ, and this is, they were, this is before the New Testament was written. They were the New Testament. And so what they, what they would do is they would receive God's word through pro, a prophetic voice, and they would hear God's word telling them what to say. Now, because they were the New Testament, after the New Testament was written, we don't have the, apostles, the need of apostleship in the same way that we have it in Scripture. And so this is, this is what happens. Instead of learning from the apostles' teaching, now we just learn from the Word of God. That's the prophecy that we receive now. Everything has been told to us that we need to know about the character and the work of the Lord. And so we, this morning, we gather to hear God's Word. It's the same as they heard the apostles' teaching. When we go into small groups, when we don't have a bunch of different book studies all over the place, we just take what we're learning on Sundays and we talk about it again so that we can devote ourselves to scripture. And so that's why we do it the way that we do it here. We make it sermon-based. Everything comes from the word of God. That's why we take books of the Bible and go through them verse by verse because we want you to know what the Bible says. We want you to understand how the Bible fits together. And so when we gather, we talk about God's word and we scatter We talk about God's word. The next one is the breaking of bread. So they devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. People would meet with regularity in their homes. They would gather in the temple. They would break up and scatter in people's homes. And when they scattered in people's homes, they would break bread together. Now, this was actually the way that they took the Lord's Supper. So every single Sunday here at Integrity, we have two tables up front. We have two tables in the back. And it's your chance to respond to the gospel, remember the gospel, by taking the Lord's Supper. You take the bread, and the bread helps you remember. We say it every week. The body of Christ that was broken for you on the, on the cross, you take the bread, you'll dip it in the cup. The cup helps you remember the blood of Christ that, that Jesus said for us. We said that every single week. We do it every week because we want you to have the opportunity to remember the gospel. There, they had an actual meal. And any of you have the spiritual gift of making a meal every single Sunday for every single person, we will let you do it, all right? We just do it the simple way we do this little piece of bread and we have grape juice instead of wine because we don't want to offend anyone with wine even though I don't have a problem with it, but some people do and so we just make it simple, all right? But the juice is to help you remember the blood of Christ. And so we make it simple so that we can all share in this meal together so not only does this meal help us remember what christ has done but it helps it brings us together it's a chance for believers to break bread together which means we face one another and say okay man here's some stuff going on in my life i'm really struggling with When, when in the old in the new testament when people had this actual meal and they're remembering christ they're sharing life together They're diving into sin in their life, and sometimes if someone was in sin and was they were unrepentant, they would not allow them to take that meal because they haven't dealt with their brother and sister in Christ. Like how many times have you come together on a Sunday if you call Integrity Church home and we're gathered and we're taking communion together? And you're like, man, before I go out there, I should probably deal with the sin in my life. Like sometimes, man, Jess and I might have get an argument that morning. And then I've got to be like, remember the body of Christ that was broken in the cross and dipped in the cup. And I'm like, man, I shouldn't do that this morning until I deal with that issue with Jess. Maybe it's with another brother and sister in Christ. Maybe, it was, maybe it's with um, a, a friend of yours. Maybe it's with a family member that you need to deal with. Maybe you need to seek reconciliation and forgiveness. And maybe maybe you've got a sin issue in your life that you haven't confessed with someone. Maybe this is your chance to do that. The reason why we break bread together is to remember the sacrificial death of Christ, but it also says, man, I'm, I'm restored with my relationship with Christ, and I'm also restored with other believers. So that's why you have that every single week, that reminder of the gospel that brings us into greater fellowship. That's why we do it every week here at Integrity. If other churches don't want to do it every week, that's fine, but this is what we do every week. It's a chance to reflect and to repent. Notice also, Prayer. So they devoted themselves to one another, to the apostles' teaching, to breaking of the bread in prayer. This is a, sort of a snapshot that we see of the early church as business as usual, but they are a church that's praying together. As a church, we gather On a regular basis, as small groups get together, you'll hear more about community and prayer nights. And we come together and we we just pray for things that are happening in the life of our church. When you break up in small groups, small groups are big on prayer. Sometimes we just dedicate just to prayer. We wanna pray for each other. We wanna pray for things that are happening in our community. We wanna pray for things that are happening in the life of our church. That is why we do it. So we wanna dedicate ourselves to prayer. And then what is the results of these things? They devoted themselves to each other the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread in prayer. What's the results? He tells us, verse 43, it says, all came upon every soul. All came upon every soul. Do you want to experience an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you want to know what it means to be in awe of God? We all hopefully want that. Do you know what happens here in the early church, how they got that? was being in community with other believers. One of the greatest ways that God shows his love for you, the greatest is through his son, Jesus Christ, and what we understand about him through his word. But you know what's second to all of that? How God shows his love to you through other people. And that's perhaps one of the most substantial things that we actually see with our eyes, Man, I know God loves me because God used this person in my life to encourage me. God used this person in my life to challenge me. God used this person in my life to to build me up. This is when we begin to say, man, I have so much awe in God. Look at how he's used this community of believers to help me see his grace. And this is why people who say, man, I can worship at God at home. I don't need the church. It's absolutely absurd. Of course, you can worship God at home, but primarily God has designed you to worship him in community with other believers. And one of the most difficult things that I find is to convince people that most of the things that happen in the life of any church doesn't happen on Sundays. It's one of the hardest things to convince anybody. The most substantial things that happen in the life of the church don't happen on Sundays, and that's true for just about any church. And it's sad because we spend so much money on what happens on Sundays. Now, what happens on Sundays is important. We come together, we worship, we hear God's word, we, we are challenged. We do have some fellowship here. We respond, we, we give. It's absolutely essential we should do it. It's commanded in scripture that we do it. But most of what happens is when you leave and how you then live your life in a community as believers. That's, that's how real life really happens. That's how real change really happens. And that's why you should be living in community. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all, uh, preached in the 1800s. He used this analogy that the public gathering was really He imagined believers coming with their torches every single week and as their torches begin to die out and their torches need to be refueled or torches need to be relit, they would come to the Sunday gathering. The Sunday gathering of hearing God's word would help inspire them and relight and reignite their torches so that they could then go out into the community and make an impact on their city and make an impact wherever they went. That's how I see this gathering. It's to inspire community. It's to inspire you to live out the gospel and make disciples. This is why this all exists. It's to bring inspiration to you. Not only was it all, but it was also verse 47. He says, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Notice that the people being saved happen in community. And it also says that they had favor with all. People in Jerusalem saw the Holy Spirit doing what he did in God's people, and they were drawn to the early church from that. Friends, we live in a world that is consistently hostile toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can do a lot of cool things, man. We can add up our production and we can, man, we're, by God's grace, Lord willing, we'll move into our new facility in, in just a few months. Hopefully we're really praying that it will be toward the beginning of January. And we're going to do a lot of cool things with that building. We want to use that building as an opportunity to bridge gaps with people that are not, that are, don't know Christ and bring them into our church. Maybe they don't have a good church home and they want to be in a good gospel community. Man, we want to use that building to do that. And there's a lot of cool things that we can do, but we cannot make the gospel cool. Paul says it's offensive. She laughed. <laughs> She's right. Paul says it's offensive. He said, man, the, the, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We cannot make the gospel cool. So how do, we, how do we draw people in? Well, it's not by the cool things that we do. He says it's just our love. Our love is the most attractive thing to a lost and dying world. And it's not just our love for the world, but it's also our love for one another. It's the community that when the world peeks in and they see, man, there's young and there's old people sharing life together. There's multi-ethnicities gathered around a table and they're praying together and they're breaking bread together. I don't see that happening on the news. I don't see that happening really anywhere else, but I see it happen in the body of Christ. And I've got to know what that is that draws them together. The most beautiful thing that we can do as a church that draws people in, that, that gives us favor with all people is the fellowship of believers that happens when the Holy Spirit takes root in our life. And so this morning, if you want to grow in Christ, I want to tell you, friends, if you want all, if you want to have all before the Lord, if you want to be in awe of God, You need koinonia, you need fellowship with other believers. Expecting to grow in Christ just on Sundays, you're gonna miss something. You're gonna miss something because I'm not that good of a preacher, all right? I'm not that good of a preacher to disciple you on Sunday mornings the way that you need to be disciples in the 30 minutes, well, 45 minutes that I talk, right? I'm not gonna be able to do that. And guess what? No preacher is that good. No preacher should be that good because you're designed to be in community with other believers. And so my friends, I wanna encourage you just as I've been encouraged to be in community. This is why Integrity Church is not just a job for me. It's not just me getting up and preaching and and then counseling people throughout the week and working with our staff and working with our elders. It's not just that. This church to me is a community. This is a family for me. This is a family for my wife and I. This is a place where I can share things in my life that I'm struggling with. This is a place where I can fail and still be accepted and loved and built up and encouraged. This is a place where I can be prayed for and cared for and nurtured and and see the transparency even with other believers. I have close, some of my closest friends are in this community, in this church. And, And I guarantee you, friends, if you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life in this way you'll see the exact same thing. And so my hope is that you would take a step and be invested in a community of believers. And I hope that you would join a small group this week. And, if you, and maybe if you're already in a small group and you need to make, make a further step in community, my hope is that you would find ways to be more invested with other believers and be encouraged all by all that Christ has done in our lives. Let me pray for us.